All right, so who's hungry for the word today? Awesome. Open up your Bibles if you've got them with you to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to read uh, several verses here. I'm going to read the entire parable. I'm opening up in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Some of you probably recognize this one. So if you've got your Bibles, you can start in verse 21, or you can watch on the screen and follow along with us. (laughs) Devil? (laughs) He's trying to disrupt us today. What does that say about you, baby? (laughs) He was Satan. All right, focus, Matt. Verse 21. (laughs) Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to 70 times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Here again, we see that whole kingdom of heaven thing, right? And when he had begun to settle accounts... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And then that servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not. He went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then the master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Torturers, remember that, until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let me pray one more time. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, that you speak through me today. God, help me to decrease while you increase. Bring Oh, truth of your word to each and every person here today, God, and of transformational way. I pray that people will be set free by the power and the truth of your gospel, Lord, and that lives will be changed by the living word. Help me, God, to just be able to speak clearly today in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we break down the parable, and I think there's some of the obvious implications that this passage means, and then there are some deeper things that I want to kind of get into with you today as well, but certainly around the subject of forgiveness. 
and the power of forgiveness in our lives. But as you know, we're kind of wrapping up a series, winding down on a message series we've been in for a while called The Power Of. And the whole idea behind this message series is to help us understand that when we become born-again Christians, followers of Christ, and His Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, that when the Bible says we're made a new creation, uh, that's not just a phrase that sounds good or like a metaphor, that that's actually a true uh, literal statement. Like we are transformed and changed spiritually on the inside, so we are a new creation. Some things in the Bible that are metaphorical and some things that are literal, and this is literal. And so we're changed, and we become what it also refers to as citizens of a new kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And that's important to note because when you become a citizen of a heavenly kingdom, you actually relinquish your citizenship of the kingdom that you were a part of or a citizen of before that, which is of the world. And so when you do, you sort of shed off, you throw off, you kick away all of these old ways of doing, of thinking, and of living in order to subscribe to and live by an entirely new and better, let me say, set of rules and principles and laws. And that's according to the kingdom of heaven, an eternal one, whereas the kingdom of the world is not. The world will be burned up, we know, one day, right? And so we are, we are to live now according to a place of power and authority that we have inherited, that we've been granted and given, that we didn't earn, that aligns with what heaven says and what God says about who we are and how we're called to live. Isn't that cool that we can still be in the world but not of the world, that we can actually walk in this world but live according to a different kingdom and carry with us the authority of that more powerful kingdom to subdue the lesser and the weaker kingdom, which is that of Satan and of this world. But here's the thing. A lot of the things about the heavenly kingdom and the way that it functions are so drastically different and counterintuitive in our minds and what we've a lot of times grown up thinking and knowing that it's, it's so drastic, sometimes it's hard for us to grasp or hard for us to, to maybe make that transition right away. You know, for example, when you think about happiness, the, the world's way of thinking is a lot like, hey, the most important thing is that you're happy. You need to make yourself happy no matter what. Like, that's, that's the big thing. If you're not happy, nothing else matters. But, you know, the, the Bible says that in order to gain your life, you actually have to lose it. And that in selflessness is actually where joy is found. And that you'll be happy, and the irony is, is that you'll actually be most happy when you're living according to God's will for your life, not according to your own will. And so the whole idea of where happiness is found and how you walk it out, the, the kingdom of heaven and the world would say two totally different things. Very much the case with money, too. You know, with money, the, the idea of the world is get, 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 accumulate, 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 keep, 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 and, and all that. But the Bible says, you know, Give, 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 and you'll have more. Keep giving and blessing, and your cup will be filled to abundance and overflowing, that it may bless you and others around you. So you see the dichotomies, right? The differences that are very, very drastic. Well, when it comes to forgiveness and the way that we should live our lives to be free and to stay free and to be unhindered by all the things that the enemy would try to do according to his tactics, forgiveness is another one of those things, maybe even one of the most significant, and the difference between what heaven says and how we should live versus what the world would say. And in the world, it's very easy 
even in our own flesh, like we have the spirit of God in us, we're born again, but until we go to heaven to be with Jesus, we still live in this earthly tent. And so the flesh affects us, it pulls us. That's why Paul says things like, you know, even though I'm born again, even though I have God in me, like I still do things that I don't wanna do and I still don't wanna do things that I should do. He talks about that in Romans. And so we know that the flesh still pulls at us and still works on us, but we have to let the spirit rule the flesh so that we keep it in proper balance and proper authority authority. But the flesh would tell you that when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to being wronged, to being hurt, to being wounded, hey, look, people can be really, really cruel. And they can do a lot of things that are very, very damaging to us in deed and action, and especially with words. And so we can open ourselves up by loving the way Jesus did to being very vulnerable to those types of things. That's part of the life. Jesus was very vulnerable to being assaulted with people's words and with the way that they slandered him and all that because he loved so furiously, you know? So in, in the world, it would say that if you're wounded and you're hurt like that, that Justice needs to be served. You know, you need to make sure that that person is put in the proper place. You need to get your just due. You are owed now. They owe you something, and you need to make sure that they pay up. You know, that's like kind of a pervasive mentality, really, in the legal system and in and, and kind of our culture in general. But listen, guys, I'm telling you, it's just so contradictory to what the Word of God says of how we should live. I'm not going to suggest to you that what I'm talking about today is easy. In fact, it's maybe one of the hardest things. But I am going to suggest to you that that way of thinking in the world, if you want what God has for you, you're going to have to abandon that and you're going to have to turn and think a totally different way about forgiveness and about when you are wronged and people mistreat you or treat you unfairly. And this parable, probably one of the best ways to prove that and, and to teach that. So you've got this story of these two guys. You've got this servant, and two, two servants and a master, okay? The master has a debt that's owed to him from one of the servants, and that debt is 10,000 talents. Now remember that for a second. The other servant owes this servant a debt, and it is 20 denarii. All right. Now, the, the servant that owes the master 10,000 talents, he begs the master to forgive him and, and actually to let him pay it back. But the master has compassion because you know who the master is, right? In these stories, these parables, the master has compassion and he forgives the debt entirely, entirely. Now, that word forgive means to do a full pardon. It means to wash away or count it as if it never existed to blot it out and when you look upon that person you don't even see that debt it's like it's gone it's not even an account that you're looking at or thinking about anymore that's the kind of way that that for so when he forgave that debt says it was gone and he's never going to bring it back up again it's over right now that master get that servant gets forgiven so then he goes out and another servant owes him some money 20 denarii. And instead of forgiving him, which is the obvious implication of what he should do, instead of forgiving him, he treats him very cruelly, you know, says he grabs him by the throat and says, you're going to pay me what you owe me. And he makes sure he gets thrown in prison and he has no compassion and there is no 
forgiveness. In fact, quite the opposite. Instead of uh, removing and pardoning it, he makes a full account of every credit now that is owed and due to him. And he's going to make sure he gets every last penny before he relinquishes uh, what he has put this, bond, this other servant in bondage for. Now, I, I was curious because I never really looked at this, but I studied on denarii and talents to see, because obviously there's a very big difference in those two debts. So a talent, what I found, was actually the highest form of a, a piece of currency that they had in these days. Like that was the most valuable piece or coin or, of currency that you could get was a talent. And uh, a denarii was not. And if you were to look at the cost of a denarii and how long that servant would have to work to pay off a debt of 20 denarii, based on six days a week, taking a day off, normal festivals that are factored in there for you know vacation time and all that, um, that would have taken the servant about three months of normal working wages to accumulate and pay back, 20 denarii. Now, the servant that owed the master... 10,000 talents, a talent based on those same uh, conditions of working and accumulating, one talent would have taken that average worker about 20 years to accumulate. So if you do the math, you're quick in your head, then you know that's 200,000 years that it would take that servant to work off the wages of 10,000 talents. So clearly, it's impossible. It's an unpayable debt. And folks, that's exactly the point of the parable. It's unpayable. It could never be compensated for. The servant could give everything he had to give, all of his work, all of his time, all of his treasure, all of his accomplishments. He could labor for every day of his life, and he wouldn't even scratch the surface of the debt that was owed to the master. This is a perfect picture of our salvation. You see, we're all born into this world in a condition of sin. There is a debt that is owed. We have to be removed or forgiven from that sin in order to go back into relationship with God. And so in order for that to take place, a price had to have been paid, and that price was actually paid by the blood of Jesus. So, it can't, so Jesus cancels the debt that is owed with his blood. And here's the point, is that no matter what we would ever do, we could never earn the forgiveness that we need from the sin that we were born into the world with. But Jesus, thank God, had compassion, and he suffered and died on the cross. So that entire debt could be blotted out, the Bible says, wiped out, so that when God looks upon us now, he no longer sees the debt that's owed. He just simply sees the blood of Jesus that's washed us clean and the debt that's been forgiven, it's no longer there. Praise God for that, amen? So we see the one servant that was able to be forgiven this way, but then he turns around and he holds this other servant in, under a completely different set of circumstances, now he forces him to pay this debt back, so much so that he has him thrown into prison until he can do that. And he does not act consistent with the way he has been treated. And the Bible says, Jesus said, look, as I have loved you, love others. In fact, he said in the commandments of these two laws hang all the rest in the prophets. He said, you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and to love others as yourself. 
So listen, if Jesus forgave us unconditionally, freely, and canceled a debt that we could never pay, how much more do you think we are called to forgive other people whenever they wrong us or they do something that would hurt or wound or offend us? Intentionally or unintentionally? Because that's what unconditional means, right? So a lot of times it's those intentional hurts that really hurt us the most, where we know somebody wronged us, and we've got this feeling like, I can't let them win. I can't let them know, think that they're right. I've got to prove them wrong. I've got to get my just due. I've got to make sure, by gosh, if it's the last thing I do, that they know that they have done the wrong thing and that they have hurt me. And it's a lie that the enemy, it's a tactic, let me put it that way, that the enemy will use, guys, ultimately to break down and, and dismantle the work that God wants to do in and through our lives. In fact, I'm gonna show you in a second how if we harbor unforgiveness and we choose not to forgive even our enemies, that it opens the door for Satan to literally come in and construct a prison in our lives that we are in fact the ones that live inside of. And that's the crazy thing is we have this notion that if we aren't forgiving someone or we're making sure that they repay us, whatever that looks like, that we're holding them in prison. It's almost like we're holding them hostage. But the reality is there are bars that went up, but we're the ones that are actually behind them, not the other person. Do you think they're losing a lot of sleep over it? Typically not, right? But it can begin to just eat away and gnaw away at the inside of our soul over and over and over again until it renders us almost completely ineffective for kingdom work that God would have us to do. It's a horrible thing that happens to many, many people in the body of Christ because it's a scheme that the enemy can, can actually manage to get in the door with in a lot of cases for so many people. So think about this parable where he's talking about he's turned over to the torturers. Remember that? The torturers. Torturers, interesting, they were responsible. They were the jailkeepers. They were responsible for making sure that the prisoners that were in the cells would have every day a living hell. That was what they were to carry out. Now, note, they were not the executioners. That judgment, that final day was coming. The torturers were simply there to torture the prisoners every single day. Prison life was terrible back then. They were beaten, scourged, flogged very often, very frequently. In fact, if, they, if someone was in a prison in these times, it was likely on any given day that they were probably suffering from infection, possibly broken bones that were not healing properly, tons of pain, all kinds of the worst things you could think about. They were probably enduring it all the time, and it was intentional. The torturers had to make sure that prison life was like hell, but they weren't to kill them. They were just to treat them this way day in and day out. The idea of a good night's rest, they never, they never experienced that. Waking them up constantly, doing these things over and over again repeatedly to where they literally, I'm sure in many cases, would have rather have died to go on to be with the Lord than stay in that prison another day. But they were kept alive intentionally and they were tortured. So what does that say? It says, when we, like the wicked servant, choose not to forgive those who have wronged us. 
And I'm saying, I'm not saying wait for an apology to forgive. I'm saying forgive unconditionally. When we choose not to do that, it's very important that we understand the devil's tactics here. When we choose not to forgive, then we are literally opening our spirits up to the devil to begin to send his evil spirits to go to work on torturing us in our soul. They will come and they will begin to wear on us with great gnawing, great uh, agony, and just gradually and slowly eating away more and more and more from the inside out. How many people have ever seen someone that it's, they get so bound up in unforgiveness and anger and bitterness that it's literally affecting their health? It's affecting, it consumes them. It's like, a, it's like a flesh-eating disease from the inside out that's just eating and eating away at them until they become a shell of a person. And it will do that. That's what the torturers mean. It means that when we choose not to forgive, Satan now has a legal right. You understand, he can't move in and do something that we don't permit him to do because Jesus has broke that, that, that uh, power off of him. But when we allow him, when we invite him in by not knowing his schemes or tactics or being weak in faith or in the word, then he has a legal right to come in and begin to do damage on us that he wants to do to defeat the plans and purposes that God would have for our lives. And so when we choose not to forgive, guess what? We open ourselves up to that very thing. And it says in the Bible, in another place, Paul uh, was talking about it like this. He says, we need to stay wise to the tactics of the devil and make sure that we forgive others because if we don't, then the devil can actually come and get a foothold, it says, in our lives. Now think about this. Think about this whole idea of unforgiveness and the way that this works. I think this is going to make a lot of sense to you. So the devil can get a foothold. And so if we don't forgive and we begin to harbor unforgiveness, even in the early seed stages of that, it's like the devil sticks his foot right here in the door now can't shut and it stays cracked. You ever play games with your kids or whatever and you're like running around the house trying to shut the door behind you so they can't catch you or whatever. And they like, they shut the door and you stick your foot in first, right? Boom, it stops the door from shutting and now it's cracked and you kind of just work your way in and open that door and you step right into that room. Get that picture in your mind because when you choose not to forgive someone who has wronged you for whatever reason the devil's like, that's exactly what I wanted right there. And he sticks his foot in that door, and now it's cracked. And we've given him a way in. And he begins to move in and now can do his most damaging work, which is like the torturers, to begin to gnaw at our soul. And he will set up and build what the Bible also refers to in other places as a stronghold. Now, a stronghold is like a fortress or a citadel. It's a very prominent structure that is designed to keep things in and keep things out. It becomes very fortified, and if the devil is allowed to get in, he will begin to construct that type of stronghold in our lives, in our minds, to where this unforgiveness begins to grow and eat at us so much that it becomes like a prison that our thoughts and our, everything we're doing begins to kind of get trapped in by, and the things of God can't even get in anymore as it begins to become so strong and built up. 
Here's the important point that you have to know. The devil cannot build a stronghold unless he first gets a foothold. Does that make sense? He's got to get his foot in the door first. He's got to get you to give him legal right to get in your life and move in and begin to do the damage that he wants to do. He has to get the foothold first. And that's why Paul says unforgiveness, not forgiving, is like giving the devil a foothold. Because now it opens the door and he can begin to move in and start to construct all of this parts of this, uh, uh, this fortress that he wants to do. And over time, the fortress just keeps expanding. It's like they added another wing, did a big addition, added on again, and the devil just keeps putting more and more of this fortress up. Now, thank God and praise God that our weapons are, are not carnal, but mighty in, in the spirit for pulling down strongholds. Like we can break those and yank those things down in the name of Jesus Christ and, and rip them apart down to a clean foundation and begin to construct now a new way of thinking according to the word of God. The word of God can dismantle and reconstruct at the same time. Amen? That's awesome, isn't it? But we have to recognize, and I'm trying to get to it this point today is what that means to open a foothold to the devil and let him come in and let him begin to construct and do the work that he's wanting to do. So I want to do a demonstration for you here, and I'm going to need somebody to help me. So Josh, why don't you come up here? You guys all met my brother, Josh? All right. So we got here unforgiveness. We're just going to kind of do a little demonstration. So let's have a drink. You had a long day? You need a drink? All right. I had a long day. I got six kids. I need a drink. All right. So let's say, you know, that, and that person that wronged you, that person that treated you unfairly and poorly, and they were so cruel, man, man, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be held accountable. Man, we need to make sure, no matter what, you get your day. You're due, man. And until that person pays, we need to make sure whatever we do, we hold them accountable for that. Let's have a drink. I'll give you a little bit here. What do you think? You picking up what I'm putting down, you know? I mean, we need to, we need to make sure. Uh, ah, just drink, you know. That's cool. Just drink. You just need to make sure you listen to what I'm saying. That person that's wronged you, they need, to, they need to pay. And you need to make sure that they do. What do you say? Drink up. Woo! <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Right here on the front, it says unforgiveness. But when we take the bait, what we've really just done is consume the poison. See, we're thinking that we're making someone else drink it when we hold them accountable and make sure that they're going to pay. But really, what we do is we actually just drink the poison ourselves, and now it can begin to deteriorate and decay and work on us from the inside out slowly and gradually, organ by organ, system by system, continuing to wreak havoc until we become, spiritually speaking, unhealthy, weighing down, and weak. Are you with me? So thanks for helping. We got a free Game Changer shirt for you. Thanks a lot, John. 
<laughs> I, the ushers told me, because we did this in the first service, the ushers were like, hey, just make sure you take those stickers off, because that's what we're using for communion next week. So <laughs> when we receive the Lord's Supper, I promise you next week it's not poison. <laughs> You'll never take communion the same way again, right? <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, it's like God has purchased us at a price we were once slaves, and now we've been bought, and we're free men. And we ought to live free. That's the way we're created to live. But we can be bought and this price paid and be freed from the laws of sin and death and the bondage of sin and death, and then willingly or unintentionally go right back into living in a place where it's like we're living like we're in prison again. What would you think of somebody that was in war, that was a POW, and they rescued him and set him free and brought him home, and now he's out of the clutches of the enemy? And, and for whatever reason, he goes out in the back of his house and builds a, a prison cell and just chooses to go sit in there and live in there every day. You say, that's absolutely insane, right? That's crazy. But when we receive and harbor unforgiveness and let it grow in our lives and, and be bitter and, and become hate and just tear at us and work at us, we're literally choosing to live inside of a prison that we've actually been set free from all along. Isn't that a shame, though? And it can do a damaging work on us. But thank God that he's given us spiritual, uh, uh, his word and spiritual eyes to see. So as Paul says, we can be wise to the tactics of the enemy and not fall into his devices and not let him get a foothold into our lives. We need to be able to recognize quickly when Satan is trying to bait us and get us to fall into temptation and become victim to this scheme to where we take up an offense and we begin to harbor unforgiveness in our lives against someone else. Because ultimately, guys, it's us who suffer the greatest. You're meant to live free, to walk light on your feet and move forward with purpose. You can't do that if you're weighed down with strongholds that you've let the enemy build in your soul. Are you with me? you got to break those out, keep them from ever getting set up. The Bible says that we're not to repay evil for evil, but actually blessing. Think about this. When we forgive people, and you may have, by the world standards, a legal right to make them pay. They may very well have wronged you. But when we choose to forgive we're not exchanging evil for evil. We're actually exchanging evil for blessing. And instead of being victim to evil, we overcome evil with good, as the Bible says in another place. That is kingdom of heaven thinking and principles. The world would have us to think totally differently about these things. But which one do you want to live by, right? Do you want to live free? Do you want to stay free? Do you want to move light on your feet, forward with purpose and passion into the things God has for you? I do. Guess what? For unforgiveness has no place then. You have, to, you have to acknowledge that, that when you read the word, if that's what we are after, then we cannot allow unforgiveness to become a part of what we allow to have a place in our lives. And... Here's the other thing that we do. When we choose like we're going to make someone pay and we hold that unforgiveness, this is really hard to think about, but we actually put ourselves into the judgment seat 
we place ourselves in a position that is only reserved for God himself to be in. Because there's none of us, not one, who could ever judge righteously. Not, a, I, not me, I can tell you that for sure. But God is the only one who could judge righteously. And so whenever we allow other, when we forgive, we basically allow God to be in the right place that he needs to be in the situation so that he can be the one to handle that and deal with that and either bring that person to repentance or in that final day, he will be the one to enforce judgment, not us. Are you with me? And so if we try to make people pay, we are putting ourselves in a place of that judgment seat that frankly, you cannot handle and neither can I. We can't carry that kind of weight because God is the only one who is, in, is, in, is able to inflict judgment righteously. And that's why it even says in the Bible, it says, you, you treat your enemies well. You pray for your enemies. And when you do, you actually heap coals of fire on their head. Like, don't exchange evil for evil. Exchange blessing. When you forgive, you bless them. You give God room to work. You give him a place to do what he wants to do and what he needs to do. The Bible also says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's his. It's not ours. He, he will deal with things justly and righteously all the way until the end of the era, until eternity. You can count on that. But we ourselves, if we try to assume that position, we will never be able to. And we will get in the way of what, what perhaps God would be able to do in that person's life. And we will certainly put ourselves in a position to carry weight that we can never handle or carry anyway. And then we'll get weighed down and we will be the ones that actually end up in a prison, not them. That's why when Jesus was dying, it says... And he demonstrated for us, like he's God, but he, you notice, like he's demonstrating for us through his life the way that we ought to live and calling us to live like that and then giving us his spirit so that we can, empowered to do so. It says when he was being beaten and all these things, it says he did not revel as he was being reveled. And it says while he suffered, he did not threaten them back in return. Believe me, he could have done that. Like he was God, like he could have, but he didn't. And it's, it's showing an example for us. It says instead that he committed his soul to him who judges righteously. Isn't that amazing? That means that he's showing us how we are to be. When we say, I'm gonna forgive, Lord, I'm gonna step back and I'm gonna commit to you. You are the righteous judge and you will deal with injustice and unfairness and you will handle all of that the best way, better than I ever could. And I'm gonna give that to you and I'm gonna stay out of the way and I'm gonna choose to forgive and I'm gonna stay light on my feet. And I'm going to walk forward with purpose because I don't want to be weighed down and gnawed at and chewed at from all those evil spirits, those torturers that I would ever, I don't ever want to give them a foothold in my life. You realize like that's a precursor. That's a, that's a, that's a picture, like a precursor of hell, torture, torment, agony, weeping, gnashing of teeth, constant, never ending. That's what that's a picture of. So when we do allow unforgiveness in our lives, we are choosing to live like we're in hell while we ought to be living like we've been saved and born again or headed for heaven. Amen. Amen. Let me close with this. Jesus, one of the very last things that he said 
was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I just want you to think for a second how hard that that actually would be. If you were being beaten, spit on, having your flesh ripped, mocked, and hung on a cross to die for a crime that you never committed, you're 100% innocent, would you have the ability to forgive, to ask God to forgive? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He's dying and he's looking at his killers and he's having compassion on them. He's asking God, forgive them. Don't hold them accountable for this. They know not what they do. I thought a lot, man, I don't know if I could do that, God. I mean, I get it. I know I need to forgive and all that. But God, I just, I'm not sure that I could do that. And I'm sorry. I don't think that I can. I don't think we, we can and then one day God showed me another passage in Scripture, reminded me another story of a guy named Stephen. You remember him? Stephen loved the Lord, said he was full of the Holy Ghost. He ministered and he got tons of people got saved from him sharing the gospel. But he was one of the first, I think he was the first actually martyr in the New Testament to be killed for his faith. And they drug him out in the street and they stoned him for preaching the word of God. And this part of the story all of a sudden hit me one day. It was like a flood guy. I just couldn't stop weeping and thinking like I could never forgive like that, Lord. I just don't think I could. And I remember it in the story. God showed me where Stephen, when he was dying, said, Lord, don't hold this against them. They know not what they do. And it just hit me. This guy really looks like Jesus, man. Like, I believe this all this time. God, you're transforming us more and more into the image of your son. You're doing a work on the inside of us. You're giving us your spirit to live the way you've called us to. But here I'm saying, I'm not sure that I can forgive the way that you're saying. And then I remember this story of Stephen. And he looks just like Jesus. And he had Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit on the inside, just the same as I do. And it hit me. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm never saying that again. I'm never saying that again. I'm going to strive to forgive and to love the way that you did, Jesus. And I'm going to trust your spirit in me to help me do that. I know I could never do it on my own, but my faith in you to help me do what you've called me to do, I'm going to put all my faith in that 100%. And then I've just made the decision. Look, I'm not going to allow people who wrong me, who treat me unfairly, poorly, whatever it may be, I just need to let that deflect off of me and I need to become quick, frequent, and often to forgive. Because here's the guaranteed point. Every single person in this room right now here this morning, before the end of the day, you'll have an opportunity to probably get offended. Certainly by the end of the week. Somebody will do something and you will have a decision. Will you drink? Or will you choose to forgive? Will you take it in? And will you begin to harbor it and let that foothold get started so that the enemy could come and start to construct his stronghold? Or will you choose to say, no, I'm going to forgive and do it quickly 
and stay free of that baggage, stay free of that bondage, and do not allow the enemy to have his way with his schemes and tactics in your life. Just give it to God. He judges righteously, folks. He is the one in control, and he is the one that I always want to serve. And I will put anything in his hands, and I just want to stay free of all that crap that Satan is going to try to bind me up and weigh me down with. And we see it. We see it in the Word. Paul's pointing it out. This forgiveness thing, this is a really big deal. Jesus is showing us in a parable with two servants where there's this drastic comparison of these two servants and the way that it's handled. And he's saying, listen, as you forgive, my Father will forgive you. And he's just telling us, look, if you don't, it's going to get in the way of everything that God has for you in your life. The enemy's going to build his stronghold. He's going to have his way. And it, and it even says in another place that if you're, in, if you're standing and praying and then you are needing to forgive someone, stop what you're doing and forgive them and, and start praying again. Well, that implies that, prayer or that, that unforgiveness can hinder our prayers. It can, it can mess us up. We cannot be in a pure heart in the right place when we approach God if we're bound up with all that unforgiveness. There's two things that I've noticed throughout all the years of ministry that I've been in of when people reach this point where they're like stuck or in a ceiling or they just can't seem to grow and, and they're, they're wanting to, they're maybe reading the Bible, they're, they're coming to church, like they're doing a lot of these things, but for some reason they're stuck. They can't seem to grow. There's two things that I've noticed more than anything else not saying this is a blanket statement, but most often, one is that they're willfully walking in a place of sin that they know is wrong and that they've been convicted about but choose not to come out of. That'll get you desensitized to the voice of God and the things he has for you. You won't hear the word. I mean, it'll do that quick. But the other thing that I've noticed is this, is unforgiveness. Somebody's bitter, and it can go all the way back, folks, to year. I mean, it can go all the way back to like childhood for grown adults that it's just been held for so long. And it's like that citadel, that, that fortress, that stronghold is like rooted and it's just got all these little tentacles and everything like through all their mind. And it's just you can see it affecting all these parts of their life. Praise God that that thing can be dismantled and brought down. And we have to make the choice to forgive. And when we do, the enemy loses his power. That thing that he was allowed to get in our lives by, helping, by causing us not to forgive for, when we choose to forgive, it's like all that structure begins to fall and crumble. And God helps us rip that thing down to a, strong, to a clean, fresh foundation. And we can begin to now build appropriately and rightly on the word of truth, the foundation of solid rock according to the written word of God. And we can begin to live a new life and live in a new place of freedom and not in bondage or imprisonment that we have allowed Satan to trap us in. Amen? So I want to ask you this today. If you, there's almost always people that seems like they're in a place where they need to forgive somebody for something. And I realize that for some people, this may be one of the hardest things that you've ever done. Because it goes deep and cuts hard. But I'm just, I'm encouraging, I'm pleading with you today. As your pastor, I care about your soul. I care about God's plan for your life. You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. 
you got to forgive. And God will help you do that. He will help you. If your heart is to do that, he will help you. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you anything, you'll walk out of here today feeling a thousand pounds lighter than when you walked in. There'll be a new spring in your step. There'll be a new vibrancy in your soul. There'll be a new clarity to the voice of God, to his word and his plan for your life. You'll be on fire with purpose again. But that unforgiveness crap can begin to just quench so many of the things God wants to do. I just want to encourage you, if, if you are in that place today, let's pray and let's let go. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, I know, Lord, you're working on somebody here today. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I know that you're tugging at someone's heart. That you're shining a light on a place that the enemy has tried to keep dark. Now something is being revealed for someone here today for what it is. A stronghold. A foothold. A scheme and a tactic. Satan himself designed to break us down and render us useless for your kingdom work, God. Help us right now to deal with this. Let's bury this thing today. Let's yank this thing up by the roots and let's see it thrown right back into the pit of hell where it came from. If that's you today, I just want you to pray and to say, Dear God, Lord, help me right now. Respond to the conviction. Respond to the drawing that you're feeling. Give it all to him. In Jesus' name, help me, Lord, to forgive right now. Help me to let this thing go. Help me to lay this thing down. Help me to just uproot this thing, God, and be done with this. No more turning back. No more being weighed down. I want to walk free. I want to live free every day. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. As you forgave me for an unpayable debt, I will choose to forgive others. In Jesus' name.